Hey everyone, welcome to the episode. With me today is Sarah Flash from Studio Mud Prince. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'd just like to thank you for taking your time to come on the episode. That was really awesome of you. <laughs> no worries. My schedule is pretty hectic, but I always like to uh, to break from my typical norms to uh, to help out with uh, production such as this. Actually, for a really long time, I've followed your YouTube channel. I've always been kind of a fan, for sure. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> it's it's always neat to hear people that have been uh, following us for years that we didn't really expect, like uh, like Metal Jesus Rocks, for example, was a, subscribed to me. I think for like two years before I even know who uh, knew who he was. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, so, stuff like that. So it's pretty it's pretty neat. Uh, we don't have a huge following, but uh, I kind of like it that way because then I can interact with every one of you. Yeah, you know. Just how well produced your show is and how long it's been on, I always assumed it was actually a pretty large channel. And then the other day I looked at your channel size and I was actually surprised at the size. I thought it would be, you know, much larger. Yeah, I get that all the time in the comments. They're like, you should have 100,000 subscribers. And I'm kind of like, do I want 100,000 <laughs> subscribers? <laughs> how would I deal with that? Like the chats would be insane when I, when we do a live stream or something. Wow. So, but uh, I, I kind of like where we are now. I think 10,000 would be a very comfortable number. And we're sort of approaching that uh, in terms of numbers. We're just shy. Well, we're almost at 6,000 at this point, which is cool. But yeah, I, I really do like interacting with every one of our viewers because I, I don't know. I think uh, like when channels get too large, um, the connection with the audience is lost at a certain level, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to kind of go back to, I guess, your early days of the episode. What I wanted to begin with is asking, what got you into reviewing shmups in the first place? It was kind of interesting. Like, I started making videos uh, through computers and, and various uh, capture mm -hmm. as early as 2007. I only actually got our first computer in 2006. And so uh, when I started seeing stuff like gamevideos.com uh, as part of the one-up network and stuff uh -huh. and seeing how they were they were making like direct feed videos of of games and stuff I was like, "Well, I could do that." Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so I I went out and I got some uh, some camera equipment and and capture like early capture stuff. Like I started with a Pinnacle USB 710 and it only did like at best S video at 4 4 uh 480p. 420 is it 420 or 480? 480p I think is what Yeah, it was. 480. Anyways, Basically, uh, that, that's how we got started. And I did this one series called Casually Hardcore. And the idea was that it was a casual look at some rather hardcore games. And from the very beginning, we had shooting games all over the place in these productions. Uh, we did like a grand total of, I think, 13 of them. And there's always been shooters in every single one. So at a certain point, I said, well, <clears throat> why don't we just make an entire series dedicated to these games anyways, because I'm covering them anyhow. And uh, I could probably do a much better release schedule mm -hmm. than, you know, once a month or once every two months or whatever, right? Yeah. And so the idea was make a five-minute episode. And it wasn't even supposed to be a review series. It was just supposed to be a vlog series showing a bunch of cool games that I like to play, which is kind of like the first episode we ever did was 1943 for the NES. <laughs> and it was, it was one that I, I picked it up in Toronto when I was visiting my parents. And I'm like, sweet, I can't wait to play this. And so that's that's exactly where it began. And even in the very beginning, like there, we hadn't really done much in the realm of like imports and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my exposure to shoot 'em ups, you know, outside of like the multi carts, which had all the pirated Famicom stuff. Yeah. Uh, was relegated only to North American shooters. And I had purchased a lot of them and I had played a lot of them, but I never really thought of reviewing them per se, just showing them off. And that's kind of where it all got its, uh, got its start. It kind of sounds like 
Were you a collector? Was it a thing where you were collecting these shmups and you're like, this is kind of just a vlog to show <laughs> off my collection kind of thing? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say that. Okay. Um, I, I used to classify myself as a collector, but like recently I found the word collector to be a bit of uh, an annoyance uh-huh. because like I know a lot of people and they buy just like tons and tons and tons of games and they say, oh, I'll just throw this into the collection and they'll never play them again. Yeah. Uh, or they'll about never that. play them at all. Like that sort of bothers me. It's like these games are meant to be played. And you look online and you see like VGA graded sealed copies of games that are enshrouded not only in their shrink wrap, but also a plexiglass box. I know. It's really ridiculous. Yeah, like they're they're entombed never to be enjoyed. And like those fetch uh, I don't know, prices that are like five, six, seven times what you'd normally pay for a used copy. And I was like, what's the what's the point? That's crazy. It's it's sort of gotten to the point now that I I've sort of cast off the collector moniker yeah i'm now an uh an acquirer right. so i'll acquire titles and i'll put them into a functional library because it's not just to look at it's especially not to look at not much of my stuff is actually collector's grade it's it's all meant to be accessed and played and that's kind of my philosophy behind the whole thing right and these days you know what the prices of especially retro games going up and stuff Oh, yeah, it's been insane. Yeah, if you kind of shed that expectation to get collector's grade stuff, you can still get pretty good prices. Oh, absolutely. Obviously, there's a couple of of exceptions to that rule. Right, yeah. I can't seem to bring myself to buy anything but a complete inbox Super Famicom game. Oh, really? By luck, I always always just seem to get complete games. And I noticed it maybe two or three years ago. I'm like, all these are complete. They all have manuals. Well, I can't break the streak now. Right. I wonder if (laughs) it's... Because the Japanese keep that stuff, right? Because I've noticed whenever yeah. I look for Super Famicom games, there's always almost a box or something with it. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. But I can see thing, where you're coming from. The thing, thing about that, though, is that uh, with, uh, with the Su- uh, Sufemi games, right? Basically, um, if you can get a loose copy of a game, you'll pay like 30, 40 bucks for it. Complete in box can often be like two or three hundred dollars for the same game. Oh, so wow. I'm wondering, like, do I, do I break the streak or do I keep it going, you know? Yeah. Like, I'd love to get a Japanese copy of Biometal, but oof, $400, I don't know. Really? It's the American yeah. copy? Because I have Biometal, uh, and that's... Oh, no, the Japanese version. It actually has a different soundtrack. Oh, than the Space Jam soundtrack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the two unlimited stuff? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, funny. but the, the Japanese soundtrack, look it up, it sounds phenomenal, and we'll touch on that a little later on. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So, to your knowledge, when you were doing this, you know, putting up these videos, was there any other shmup content on YouTube out there? I looked into it recently, and it looks as if there was a lot, like, uh, quite a few channels early on, but they didn't have the same sort of longevity as we sort of acquired. Mm-hmm. So, like, you had stuff like the um, Turbo, 3-Minute Turbo Show, 2-Minute Turbo Show, it was by Future Matt 5. Mm. He, was, he was a YouTuber there out of England, I think, that, uh, that did a lot of uh, shmup-related stuff, specifically for PC Engine. Uh, he also oh, had a few yeah. PCBs for, I think he has an Astro City or something. Oh, nice. Yeah, but he's sort of fallen off the wayside. Like, he, uh, I think he even did a, um, no, it was another guy, stuff I wrote. He had a, a zine called Pink Bullets, and he had a lot of stuff up uh, up until recently, too. Oh, that's cool. But I think, like, I put a poll out there, and I, I sort of fact-checked it, looked into the, the history of things, and saw what was uh, what was available now. And we sort of determined through our, our audience and the internet at large that Bullet Heaven has now sort of acquired the, uh, the distinction of being the longest running shoot 'em up review show of all time. Yeah, that sounds correct to me. We're coming up on 10 years, which is ridiculous to think. But uh, 
If you'd asked me 10 years ago if I thought that I was going to get this far, I don't know if I would have had a good answer for you. <laughs> yeah, probably hard to even imagine 10 years ago. Yeah, I know. It's uh, well, also the the price of games. Also, I didn't anticipate either. So yeah, so it's it's kind of been hard on that uh, on that front, especially for the retro stuff. But we have gotten a lot of attention from publishers, so we always have something to review at any given time. I remember watching one of your earlier videos with a I can't remember. It was a Sega Saturn shmup. I want to say something like Radiant Silver Gun or maybe Dodonpachi. Okay, yeah, those that was within the first ten. <laughs> yeah. At the time you reviewed it, you know, the price was, like, really reasonable. And, oh, yeah, and then yeah. all these years later, it's like these games are enormously expensive. Like exorbitant. The biggest one that we noticed was uh, Batsugun. Oh, yeah. And uh, Batsugun, at the time we bought it, was $50. Right. Which is kind of unbelievable. And, like, it was kind of uncommon back then. You didn't see very many copies. So you're like, oh, 50 bucks. Yeah, I'll get that. Sure. Nowadays, it's like the market is flooded all of a sudden, and it's like $350 a copy. That's crazy. Ah, can't even under, I don't understand where that's coming from, but uh, I think what happened, and this is just is pure conjecture, right? I think what happened is that one guy got lucky and he suckered someone in, and now everyone sees that and they want a they want a piece of the pie. Yeah, I think that has to be it. I've heard about that happening with eBay. If someone manages to auction off a retro game for a much higher price than it's actually worth, eBay will start to kind of lift the prices of everyone else's, right? Oh, yeah, it starts saying, like, oh, this is trending at this price. Uh-huh, yeah. So, yeah, I've noticed that on a few listings recently, too. It's like, hmm, this copy of the game is only $20, and it's trending at it's trending at 50 I can save myself $30 if I buy it now. So I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm part of the problem, apparently. That's been a problem for me, because I wanted to get my hands on the PlayStation version of Dodonpachi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to compare the Saturn and the PlayStation, like, do a really in-depth comparison. Well, the the PlayStation version, I think, is uh, much more affordable than Saturn, if I'm not mistaken. It's climbing, though. Yeah. At the same time, though, it's like Saturn, or like Sega in general is chic right now. Yeah, it's And hot. it's been that way, I think, now for about uh, the last year or so. So, like, Sega Genesis and Mega Drive, definitely Sega Saturn, but now also Sega Dreamcast, which sort of conflicts with something that I'm trying to do, because we, uh, we'll talk about it a little later, but uh, we're trying to acquire, like, every title worldwide for, this, uh, for the Dreamcast. Oh, yeah. And we're really trying to tra- cherry-pick the auctions as best we can, because just like Super Famicom, we have OBs with every single one of our Dreamcast games, just that's just how it was, right? Yeah. And like if uh, if I had purchased my copy of Border Down when I did without a spine, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. But now that it does have a spine, I'm like, oh, well, here we go. Yeah, I remember five years ago, I went and bought a Dreamcast, for, I think for like 30 bucks or something. And now they're yeah, yeah. they're climbing like crazy. So J- Japanese Dreamcast, like they used to all the same cords. So I just bought like a standalone unit, no controller. And it was, it was like $25 from uh, from Hit Japan. So it wasn't bad at all. So back to you when you were creating your you know early videos and you're saying they weren't necessarily reviews at what point did yeah. you start to shift into doing reviews or what kind well, of got you doing that basically like where it was just like vlogging at first i think some people misinterpreted it uh-huh. and a friend of mine he goes by uh by naked bob on online i'm not sure what he does these days but i know he works for pixar oh that's cool yeah, it just, he was one of the one-up guys that I knew, right? And, you know, we would have frequent back and forths on one-up while it was still a thing. And he said, hey, have you seen this uh, this forum post? You know, they're, they're saying stuff about your, your series out here. I'm like, oh, really? So I went over. It wasn't pretty. Oh, no. <laughs> it was not pretty. Were they getting there was mad? one guy that said, like, well, he, he, 
one one guy in particular uh i believe he wrote uh his audio visual talent is wasted on his lack of uh, of research and knowledge and i want to smack him in the mouth for it and i'm like what you don't even know me that sounds very much like a forum post you know what i mean uh, yeah the type of talk that forum posts have <laughs> it definitely came from the farm that's for sure <laughs> so <laughs> so but uh but yeah like reading through those and I was like I almost I almost admitted defeat him like well these guys are my core viewership what am I doing wrong that uh that they don't like my stuff and how am I going to get further if they're uh, if they're saying that my stuff is garbage people are going to read this right yeah so it it almost put the kibosh on the whole thing I uh, at at the time I had planned up to episode 20 because I was doing something called the 10 for 10 block mm-hmm. and w- we did this often throughout the series too where we do a specialized block of episodes that focused on either a single type of game or shooter rather a single system or like viewer requests and that's what we had done we did viewer requests if you can believe it and we managed to afford the whole thing nice <laughs> so and that included like space megaforce too i got like an insanely good deal on it i think i walked uh walked away having paid only 20 dollars for it on ebay through an auction that is a good deal yeah but this was also 10 years ago too right, right. so uh so that's that's why we were able to do that i would never be able to get away with that this uh, at this point in time right i know but yeah, the 10 for 10 was in full swing. I had acquired all the titles that I needed to make this, the, uh, the 20, the 20th episode. And I, I was almost ready to call it at 20, which, you know, at the time I was like, you know, 20 episodes isn't a terrible run. I only made it to 12 with casually hardcore. Mm-hmm. And that took years, like two years to do. So yeah, why not? You know, cut my losses and try to find something else to do. But basically I took some other feedback from the same thread and I'm like, well, okay. I might focus a bit too much on presentation, but we'll talk about that in a second, too. Mm-hmm. I, f- I might focus a bit too much on presentation. You wanted me to talk about scoring. Let's start shifting the series into a more traditional review format. So what that ended up doing was we took we had like four sections to start. So there was intro, gameplay, presentation and stack up. Mm-hmm. In between gameplay and presentation, we threw another section for scoring. And that sort of manifested itself, I think, in series three. Okay. At some point. Yeah, there was a scoring section that we added in, but uh, it took a little bit of time to implement it. Uh, we just sort of tried to draw it a, a little further out, trying to explore all the, the nuance of the gameplay as opposed to the scoring. And we talked about the scoring as part of the gameplay at first. So right. We noticed then that the episodes would shift from five minutes to about ten. Just to explain the scoring mechanics and stuff? Yeah, exactly. So it it added another 10 minutes. And thankfully, like at the time, we were able to do longer than 10 minutes through YouTube. Oh, no, at the time we couldn't. 10 minutes was our maximum. So we had to be really quick and really concise to get everything we needed to get into the episode. Oh, wow. And then when we finally were able to do more than 10 minutes, then yeah, we were able to just sort of go into things with like as much detail as we wanted, which became very handy with the cave stuff on 360 a little later on, because like, uh, you look at like es- Escaluda 2 has seven game modes and the scoring differs for each one and the mechanics yeah. are different for each one. So, yeah, it was really helpful for games like that. Yeah. And so especially when you started doing the scoring and started really digging into the mechanics, what was your process like as far as, OK, how am I going to approach this? OK, well, at first, like the process for creating an episode bullet of uh, Bullet Heaven, the main criteria w- was, is it cool? Is it uncommon? And is it something I'd be interested in playing? Because at first, of course, it was a vlog. Yeah. And of course, at the end of each episode, regardless of whether it was vlog style or review style, there was always the five-star system over control length, challenge, visuals, audio, and ingenuity. 
uh, or what it does differently from other games, right? So, and again, we only had the four segments at first, but then we added the scoring to make it five distinct segments through the entire uh, the entire review. So that's uh, that's more or less what the thing was. Nowadays, it's a little different. Um, when it comes down to producing an episode, do we have a review copy? Because we don't want to leave our uh, our publishers in the dark on that. They have given us a free copy of the game to review. Yeah. So we can be completely impartial. We can say whatever we want about this game, uh, which, again, we'll touch on a little later on. Yes. But, you know, we are like we like to pride ourselves as having some of the best integrity on YouTube when it comes down to reviewing the games that we do. And a lot of people say that we score stuff high. But at, at the same time, like the games that we're getting are pretty solid, too. Right. And it's weird, too, because like sometimes we'll give a game a low score and they're like, no, I'd have given it a five. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Raiden 5 was an infamous sort of uh, situation too, but uh, I think we'll we'll touch on that a little later on as well. So you mentioned the forum pushback in your early days of, you know, mm -hmm. I'm guessing these were like hardcore players who felt like, okay, they wanted to hear all about the rank systems and everything on your episodes and yeah. stuff like that. Did you run into any other types of pushback in your early days that were big challenges? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, okay, well, first off, let's talk about the shmups forum. <laughs> okay. Because they, they are very hardcore players, but they also sort of, it's kind of weird. Like, they, they, they treat these games as, like, almost like holy icons. They're very reverent mm -hmm. to the games that they play, which is, you know, all the power to them. Cool. But the thing is, is that a lot of them uh, will depend on, like, emulation and stuff like that. So there's very little risk involved, right? Right. Well, monetarily speaking. One thing that we've sort of prided ourselves with as well, outside of like virtual console, which is sort of an exception to this rule, we don't do emulation mm -hmm. and we don't we don't do um, bootlegs or reproductions. So every single game that we've, re we've reviewed so far is either commercially available through a, a downloadable service like the virtual console, for example. Right. Uh, or it's an original game playing on hardware. And like late, lately, anyways, we've been doing Famicom games on the retro USB AVS. Uh, but it's still like hardware that outputs in HD, so it's the best way so far to play like Famicom games without a loss. Oh of yeah, blood, you know. So yeah, uh, that's that's kind of the exception to that rule. But it has to be hardware, and it has to be a real copy of the game. So like when we did Rekka, for example, we bought Rekka. We also bought Sapphire. We bought Magical Chase. We oh wow, and they were they were kind of uh, pricey for their time, but not nearly as expensive as they are now. That's definitely a more power to you because. You know, I'm sure that takes a lot of dedication tracking down all these games and everything if you're doing all the legit copies and all that. Yeah, exactly. Now, a lot of people, and so this is where some of the pushback comes in. It's like we get a lot of people on YouTube and various other places saying, well, why don't you just emulate these games? It would be a lot cheaper and you can do all kinds of other things, especially like in the realm of arcade games. Yeah. Uh, because as much as I would love to get into PCBs, space is at an extreme premium in my apartment. <laughs> so. We're planning on doing a shift and a huge purge of just like a bunch of stuff that we've held on to over the years living here. But I mean, when we do finally switch around the studio to a large area, we, we could have room for a candy cab, right? Yeah. I wouldn't mind looking into it. But for now, anyways, a super gun could be the way to go. Uh, but it all boils down once again to cost. We have to be very selective with what we buy because otherwise we might not be able to pay our rent or a power yeah <laughs> or internet and so so that that sort of like dashes bullet heaven entirely right so that's the thing so the emulation thing yeah i get i get the idea behind it 
And, and like a lot of people cite that, oh yeah, no companies aren't making money off of your um, uh, off of these these games anyways. But like emulation also brings another problem too. It's it's not a perfect method. So you look at games like Soldier Blade, for example, mm-hmm. on the, uh, the PC Engine and TurboGrafx-16, and they have a there's a virtual console release, there's a PSP disc release, there's a PSN download release, and I think there's a couple of others as well. But none of them play nearly as sharply as the original. Right. Because there's obviously, and like there's color differences and sound yeah. quirks here and there. And it's just, it's just not exactly as I would like to, uh, like to have it when I'm playing my games. And especially when you're trying to represent the game as closely to the original, because you're going to be, you're going to be finding a lot of people that have nostalgia with these games too, right? Right. You're going to find a lot of people that want to, to, to see and hear it as they remember it. Otherwise they're going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. This doesn't sound right at all. What's going on here, right? So, and you know, emulators themselves too, they can differ from emulator to emulator. Oh, yeah. There's certain ones that so. are definitely better than others. I can guarantee oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that, that's a thing. Another pushback too is like when, when you say the hardcore player on the Shmups forum, that's another thing too. Because in the end, these reviews show players that are looking to buy these games what, uh, what they're about, right? Mm-hmm. Or if they're looking to get into retro collecting or if they're trying to find like a virtual console release or, or any number of factors. But the fact of the matter is, we go over all of these points so that new players can say, okay, I understand this. This isn't as daunting as I thought it might be. Right. It's not for the seasoned play. It's not technically for the seasoned player. And if you're saying, oh, you know, I want to hear your thoughts on this game, but you've already got the game, it's almost defeating the point of it. Because ah. you're going to have your own opinion. And yeah. if, you, if your opinion clashes with mine, that's when sometimes we have people say, no, you're wrong about Raiden 4. It's not the best game in the series. That's obviously Raiden 2. Or mm-hmm. Raiden Five is by far better than Four, but we loved Four Overkill on PlayStation Four and uh, PlayStation Three and PC. So you yeah, know, when you have people saying that uh, they're trying to correct you, <laughs> or they're uh, trying to dissuade you from saying something that you feel is correct, but uh, they do not, that's where a little bit of conflict comes from and a bit of pushback comes from. Every now and again, we get the really hardcore like. Oh, this is, I'm not going to bother watching this 60, this is 60 minutes of garbage and I'm not going to go any further than I already have. Yeah. So, you know, at that point you're like, well, okay, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough situation. I know exactly what you're saying about, you know, with these games, people are extremely passionate about them, which I think makes sense. I'm that way as well. Yeah. But as a content creator, that can be very tricky to navigate because... Like you're saying, you're trying to do a service to your viewers of, you know, recommending games, not necessarily evaluating them in the grand scheme of the best shmups of mm-hmm. all time or anything like that. <laughs> exactly. Although uh, for, for Series 10, we've got a few a few episodes that we'd like to do like a top 10 of because we mm-hmm. really haven't done that yet. And I think uh, it's not really... F- and don't take it the wrong way. It's not like a padding situation. We're not running out of stuff to do because like, no joke, we've got like 300 shmups waiting in the wings at this point. Wow. Our library is massive. I would I would go so far as to say that our, our shooting library is probably the largest in Atlantic Canada. I, I, I could even probably say that it's larger than uh, maybe uh, Montreal East, which is quite a swath. I, I don't know that it'd be the larger than some people in Toronto because there's some pretty wealthy guys out that way that have uh, access to a lot more than we have here, that's for sure especially out in the wild but like um you know for for being almost ex- like almost exclusively getting stuff on eBay and through uh through publisher donation well not donation but like publisher uh provided codes and yeah. and, and copies and stuff like 
I think our, our library is the largest in the area, and we've been able to do some pretty cool shows like for physical venues for the community at large. Oh, we've that's had cool. People as, as far as like New Brunswick, which is the province over from us, come into our city to take part in the event, which is which was really, really cool. Oh, like a schmuck meetup kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually called Halifax Scramble. We did four of them. That sounds really fun. Yeah, they were they were a good time. A lot of work, though. <laughs> oh, I bet. Were you organizing those? Yeah, I organized and ran the events. I brought oh, all the hardware, wow. all the monitors. So, like, I came, like, with a truckload of, like, TVs and systems. Holy crap. And, uh, and yeah, it wasn't bad. Often, like, we had uh, sponsorships and, uh, and stuff donated from various publishers as well. Like, the first one we did, New Media, got on board. So we had stuff like Altinex and Kemwe and uh, what was the other one that they did there? Uh, I forget it. But uh, there, there was three of them in the Altinex series, and we had all of those to give away. And like, um, Cetasius was another game that they gave us to give away. And that was the first one we did. The second one we did, we, uh, we partnered up with Qcast Games and NG Dev Team. And so they sent like physical Dreamcast games to give away. Oh, nice. Which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, we also reviewed all of the games that they sent along as well as part of a summer, uh, we called it the Summer Dreams Block. And, uh, we we reviewed five, uh, Dreamcast titles in five days leading up to the event where they could all be played. That's really awesome. Yeah, it was it was a pretty good one, yeah. And then finally there was one more we did. What was it? It was um it was called the uh it was Scramble 4, but the idea was there was like four player games. All oh, right, it was Dejica that got on board for that one there. So we had yeah, we had the uh we had a double monitored um Darius Burr CS setup. Oh, that's fun. It was pretty cool. And what we did, we actually did a live uh replay so we recorded the game footage as it was being played, but also filmed the the people playing them. And the, the uh, video uh, feed was synced up so you could see who was playing and how they were doing and what was happening on screen, too. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's kind of a more creative way to show off some up content. That's good to hear. Absolutely. And that's the thing, too, like with with that event, too, at that particular one, there was like this nine year old kid that came in and he played these games with like gusto. Now, obviously, he was he was a noob, right? So, uh-huh. uh, he, yeah. He he had to work on his skill, but he he enjoyed every second of that, and I guarantee he's going to be a shooter fan for life. I bet, yeah, that's really cool because yeah. as I'm finding, as I think many people have found, most of the shmup fans tend to skew older, which is good in a lot of ways because I think we're all a little more mature than other scenes. But mm-hmm. it's bad in that we need there needs to be more of us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems that way, but maybe maybe not, um, as I'm sure we'll we'll discuss. Yeah. So kind of on that topic, I was curious to hear, especially since you've been so long running and had such longevity, how would you compare the general shmup interest within the gaming community back when you started to now? I think now it's stronger, believe it or not, uh, especially with the success of the Nintendo Switch, which is something that took us completely by surprise. I think right now, as it stands, Series 9... <laughs> is something along the lines of like either 80 or 90% Switch content at this point because so many are being released and we're getting so many review copies from like Zero Div and other indies that we can't, we don't have time to do anything else. (laughs) We have like one PC game coming up and we're doing a PS4 game like next. Yeah. But like it's, it's been Switch almost entirely the other time. So, so yeah, I think because of the, the, and obviously they, like they, They'd probably slow down releases if they weren't selling especially well. So, like, to to see so many releases on a system that is selling so phenomenally well gives me the impression that a lot more people are playing these than we think. Yeah, 
And Switch is definitely the new hotness right now. I mean, it is. Yeah. A lot <laughs> of people are saying, too, they're like, oh, I'm not going to buy a Switch just to play Ikaruga. But like, you're playing Ikaruga on the go. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. You can play it in Tate on the go, which is amazing. Yeah, especially when the vertical grip comes out. Oh, yeah, the flip. We, we, we supported that day one, the flip grip. Yeah, me so too. We're, look, we're looking forward to getting hands-on, so to speak, with that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, but that's just one game, though. You've got all of the, the Zero Dip stuff. You've got, like, Zero Gunner 2 Minus. You've got Gunbird 2. You've got Dragon Blaze. You've got Ten Guy. You've got uh, uh, Strikers 1945 1 and 2. You mm-hmm. know, Gunbird 1 and 2. It, there's a lot of really good quality stuff there. And then, of course, you've got stuff like Steriden. And you've got Dimension Drive, which is now physically available through Play Asia. You've got stuff uh, like Cinemora uh, EX gets a lot of crap, but I really enjoyed that game, and it works really, really well in high definition on the Switch as well. So, um, yeah, I need to check that game out. I've always just been—isn't it pretty expensive? Like forty bucks or something? No, it's it's like fifteen dollars. Oh, okay, I must be thinking of it's a different. It's really shmup. inexpensive. Yeah, yeah. There's some shmup on the Switch that looks interesting, but it's like forty bucks. Oh, you're probably looking at uh, RX and Ryzen. That's it. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> see if you put up a review because i've obviously played these zero dev you know ports before but i'm always curious to hear the quality of the port before i you know drop the money on it so i I determined something too and i might do a quick video on it we determined that a lot of the lag that we were finding was actually the monitor we were using oh really yeah because i had a 32 inch bravia hooked up to my uh, my computer right and that's what i was playing on but come to find out Despite it being a, a monitor that Sony themselves used on their kiosks to demonstrate the PlayStation 4, it had a 32 millisecond response time. Yeah. 32, that's a third of a second. That's huge. Just wasted. It's enormous when you're looking at games like uh, the Psycho Fast stuff, right? Oh, yeah. So I actually, I, just yesterday, I went out and I invested. It's only 24 inch, so it's a bit smaller than I'm used to, but I'll get used to it. But it's a uh, an Asus gaming monitor with a one millisecond response time. Yeah, I have one of those as well. And what's beautiful about this is that it does rotate 180 degrees, so you can do Tate uh, or Tate flipped, depending on what you're using. Yeah, if you're a shooter fan, I'm, that's what I'm telling my friends. If you're a shooter fan, get that feature in your monitor. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It changes, because it turns a small monitor yeah. with the cropping into a reasonably large like monitor. Like a large monitor, like 24 inches of, uh, of yeah. Tate is nothing to be joked with. <laughs> yeah in fact uh if i'm totally honest like uh it, when recording on a 32 inch versus on this one here if it's in tate here it's going to be a little larger than on the 32 inch anyway yeah so i'm okay with that i've watched your reviews of all your zero dev releases but 
overall, in a package, how do you feel about them as far as their quality of porting and everything? I love them. Like, Psycho, we've had Psycho games in the past. Like, I have Strikers 1945-2, which I reviewed on the Sega Saturn back in Series 4. And I even, mm-hmm. I even picked up the first Gunbird on the Sega Saturn as well, but I never got around to reviewing it. And I always, I had always wanted to. So it was really good to be able to play that through, uh, through the Switch as sort of like a one-two punch, right? Mm-hmm. But to have stuff like Zero Gunner 2 minus, it wasn't a perfect port. And I'm not going to say it's a bad port though, because they actually had to redo the entire game from scratch because the source code was lost. Oh, really? That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's why. So that's why it's called uh, Zero, Zero Gunner 2 minus because the producer of the game said, Hey, it's not quite where it used to be. So we got to put a minus on it to show that it's a different game from what you already know and love. <laughs> but it crazy. also inspired us to get Zero Gunner 2 on the Dreamcast as well, which we got very lucky because, again, it's one of those games that really spiked up. And we were like, oh, come on, really? $400? I can't afford this. But we found That's one for crazy. 160 160 bucks. I was like, I'm on this right now. And uh, <laughs> we found a copy of uh, another one was like, well, we'll get to that in a, in a bit here. But uh, anyway, Zero Gunner 2 minus inspired Zero Gunner 2's purchase, and it uh, led to other things. So even the worst titles that Psycho has on on tap. Yeah. And I double checked it with the new monitor. Just make sure you've got a high refresh monitor Mm -hmm. and a quick response time monitor. And you should have no problems with these games. They are so good. Uh, And especially for the price, like you're only paying eight US dollars for any one of these titles, which is a phenomenal value, especially since they often feature, you know, the second loops and all that fun stuff. There's uh, there's no online leaderboards, granted, mm-hmm. but if they were to patch that in, it would instantly make them the, the very best collection of shooters, I think, on any modern console. I think one thing that I really wish they had was some save state features, just because it's like, mm. it feels like it's just right there. Like, it's so close. They could just put that in, you know, it doesn't feel like it's that much of an issue for them to put in there. Mm. I think a save state would be good, but uh, I don't know that we would... Uh, they would have to make concessions for scoring. Like, you, you couldn't rank in if you used a save right, state. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be really good, though, to practice for uh, for survival, at least, right? Oh, yeah. If you can save state it at a very partic- a particularly difficult part, you can just do that part over and over and over again, kind of like Ikaruga's Conquest mode on the GameCube version, mm-hmm. and get really good at it, and then breeze through the whole game with the anticipation that, yes, I have to be at this spot, because these bullets that are coming at me so fast, I can barely register them with human eyes. Are yeah. gonna miss me, you know. So that that be that would be a really handy feature to have. Yeah, especially just uh, you know, if you're newer to the game, you want to kind of round out what you're gonna do, or you want to practice a certain stage. You know, oh, I don't want to play through the first two stages. I want to play the third stage. That'd be helpful. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you like the music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, there always seems to be an unwritten rule that the second stage's music is always the best. Yeah, that seems to be the thing, huh? Two or three, it's always kind of down to those two in games. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, of course, stage four is the uh, the wall of difficulty, and you're just like, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny how shmups will do that. So, uh, shifting gears a little, we're talking about reviewing shmups, and, you know, I would consider you one of the more well-known reviewers that I know of that is dedicated to shmups. So, as a whole, how do you feel about how people review shmups kind of in the larger media with, you know larger gaming websites and things like that yeah there have been a couple of reviews where like generally speaking i don't like to look at reviews before i've had a crack at it sure but every now and again I, t- I take a quick look like especially if i'm looking for like release dates or um 
various features that I might not be aware of, right? Uh, scoring mechanics and such, especially scoring mechanics, because more and more, n- nothing is actually explained in the the, uh, the manuals that come with them. Yeah. Some. Like the, yeah. the zero div stuff, they don't tell you about stuff like technical bonuses, right? No. So, so yeah, looking into stuff like that, like every now and again, I'll come across like Nintendo Life or something like that. But like their reviews are like, oh yeah, this was a fun game. It was a little difficult at places, and if you're uh, you know looking for for something to shoot, bucks isn't bad. Four out of ten, <laughs> yes. or four out of five, or or eight out of ten. I'm like, really? Well, what about the scoring aspect of it? You didn't mention anything about the music. What about the visuals? Are there are there extra features? You didn't say that this rotates ninety degrees. So so that's uh, yeah. I find that like the lar- the the more mainstream the uh, the the venue. The more mainstream the site or the the, the established uh, media, the uh, the more they'll gloss over these facts because they're too busy playing the AAA titles and long long winded RPGs that they don't they perceive that these shooters have not much to them because right. they can be beaten in a half an hour, right? Right. Oh, half. You know, this is a short game. Well, okay, cool. But like, if you're getting good at the scoring and you're trying to go for that one CC, I guarantee you'll be at this for like twenty hours, right? That's a modern RPG. It's crazy because. Whenever I watch people's, there's a lot of things that, you know, the games are coming out. I'm like, oh, I want to check out the Ikaruga port, but how good is the port? And I watch a review and they're just like, yeah, Ikaruga is a great game. You shoot stuff, you switch polarity, but they don't actually talk about the more nitty gritty details of the release, like the modes and stuff like that. The Ikaruga port in, in specific, that was one of our bigger undertakings because we actually did every port. We compared and contrasted all of the different features and all of the nuance between visuals, performance, and sound. Mm-hmm. We came away with it saying that the Switch version was was good, but not perfect. Right. It's it's no Dreamcast version, that's for sure. What were your thoughts on the Dreamcast versus GameCube version? Which of those is superior? If you've listened to those like side by side, and you can hear it in the review too, so strap on some headphones and take a listen. The sound versus, uh, like on Dreamcast versus GameCube, are night and day. Oh, uh, There's yeah. also a little bit of desync with what's happening on screen with the music. The music almost seems to pick up and change and, and sort of accentuate in spots where there's more action or certain things happening on screen. Mm-hmm. With the GameCube version, it's ever so slightly off. So if you're if you're used to the rhythm on the Dreamcast version, where okay, the music is playing, this is where this is going to be. And all of a sudden, it's either happening too slow or too quickly in the GameCube version because it's being read off of the uh, the the disc media yes. rather than being generated by the software itself. Yeah. Uh, then yeah, it's going to throw you off a bit. But the sound is super downsampled too. Like it it sounds muffled. Yeah, because probably the you know the GameCube's disc size and everything is so tiny. Yeah, there there's that. But also, I noticed that the visuals were were off as well because there's a very hard bilinear uh, texture filtering mm-hmm. so like f- further off the textures don't look terrible but there's a distinct line and you'll you notice it as uh, even in the first stage you're going through that like cannon area yeah uh just before your ship flies out and you're you're into the game you'll notice the line where stuff renders softer or harder for the textures so that's something that doesn't happen in the dreamcast version either that's weird yeah it's it's bizarre the gamecube version definitely has its merits though just because of the conquest mode Right. So using the conquest mode, and because there's no music involved, it, it doesn't have any bearing on, on what you're maybe feeling or anticipating. You can slow down the game to half speed and then speed it up to normal speed and then practice that over and over for each and every segment of each and every stage. Yeah, that's to really nice. get, you know, the best results and the best chains, right? So right. like I can get a, a 76 chain in the first stage or something like that. So 
I, I used to be like number 700 out of 100,000 players for the first stage. Nice. Yeah. I, I'm an Ichiman ba- Bancho. Stage one bad. Stage one badass. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so during your time of reviewing all these shmups, especially kind of the newer releases, was there ever one that you were really looking forward to and then were let down by? Oh, okay, here we go. Rx and Raijin. Okay. Rx and Raijin is perhaps the biggest disappointment we've ever had on uh, on Bullet Heaven. And I really, I really, really wanted to love that game. I was super stoked for it. It looked amazing. The graphics were pretty cool in, you know, static pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like yes. when we got to playing it, the performance issues were too much. Like it was dropping to sub 10 frames per second. Holy crap. Yeah, and it's like it's one thing to say, oh, it's intentional slowdown. But the thing is, is that it would slow down when there was only like two or three things on screen. Right. Yeah, like there there was no rhyme or reason for it. So the performance suffered terribly. There was even times where the different parts of the music would desync. Oh. So like the the melody and the bass line would be at two different rates, and then the percussion would come in off. <laughs> so it was it was it was literally an oral mess. And then, uh, you know, to add insult to injury, the game is like 50 stages long, but it only recycles like six of the stages and the bosses are recycled several times throughout as well. So it was really too much of the same thing over way too long a time with horrendous performance. And we were like, we got to give it a two. We got to give it a two out of five. And that might sound generous, but at the same time, like we do genuinely believe that that like a 2.5 is average. Oh, maybe it was less than two. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was two. The thing, though, is that uh, it, it fell below average. We we know that it could be patched. If it was patched to iron out the performance issues and to fix all of the things that need fixing, uh-huh. we could see it. And it would probably, you know, rise up to like 2.5, which is still pretty average. But yeah, the, the leveling system, too, was a little borked because like you had to... It basically took us the entire game to get to a sufficient level to do the kind of damage we needed to do to the final boss. But you can only level up one character at a time. So it's in artificially inflating the time that you have with the game. So it really overstays its welcome, yeah. One thing I hate about a lot of, I guess, poorly designed shmups, in my opinion, is ones where you're just floating around. There's not a lot of challenge coming at you. You're just not doing very much. That drives me crazy, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Of note, though, like when it did work, some of the music was really good. And we loved the mechanical and uh, character design. Everything was voiced over nicely too, so it's not too bad. It wasn't it wasn't as big a distraction as it was in Raiden Five. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was good on the presentation front. It's just a shame that it was, you know, basically a slideshow. That's like probably worse than Gradius three on the SNES then. Oh yeah, no, I would say that Gradius three is uh is probably I would say that's downright solid compared to <laughs> that is hilarious. Compared to our extension. Yeah. So, I don't know, did you get a review copy, or did you have to drop the, all the money on that thing? We actually did. We contacted Kayak, and we didn't think we were going to hear from them, as as was the case with like all of the reviews that we applied for over the holidays, mm-hmm. which is why we called it Shmubby Switch Miss. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but we, we got every single one of them, so it, it, it ended up being that we did seven reviews in the same amount of time that we usually do three. Holy crap. But yeah, we we did get a review copy of that. And I'm telling you now, man, if I had spent like up here, it was something along the lines of like 50 or 60 dollars Canadian to buy this game. If I if if I had spent that money, I would have been bitter. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I would have I would have truly been bitter. So like there was no way that we could uh, we could legitimately recommend that game, especially at that price point. But someone came along and said, hey, 
75% off on the uh, the Japanese eShop. Should I do it? I'm like, you know what? For 75% off, it might be worth a look, you know? It's a gamble to see if they'll patch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully they patch it. But, uh, I mean, it's, it might be worth looking into now because it's been enough time. But like, I'm not uh, hopeful in any sense of the word. Did you ever get your hands on the Dodonpachi DOJ Black Label 360 port? Have you heard about that one? Oh, a DOJ, a SDOJ or a DOJ? No, no, just DOJ. Okay, so the Black, oh, Black Label Extra. Yes. Yes, I've got that. Did you get it when it first came out with all its horrible issues before it was patched? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. I was looking all over your channel to see if you reviewed that. I don't think you have. We haven't. We did feature it in a uh, in a live stream, though. Yeah, it's somewhere out there. The good thing is, after the patch, the game's pretty solid, but man, holy crap. <laughs> it's just a mess. The patch still exists, though, right? Like, if you were to boot it up, yeah. it would uh, download a yeah. file and such, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. So. Yeah, you can I, patch I, it now. I, I want to say that it's probably been patched then, because there was I did uh, download a couple of files when I wasn't selling, right? So It's definitely out there. It's just, I feel bad for the people who dropped all the money for it to import it, bought a Japanese Xbox 360, because it's region locked, and then it's just this horrible mess. Oh, you know what, though? it's not That's not necessarily true. The, uh, the 360 itself isn't actually region locked. The software is. It's just the software that's region locked. Uh, sure. I was actually I was actually able to uh, to play a decent number of North American games on my Japanese 360. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a slim model too, for what it's worth. But yeah, a number of North American games work on the uh, the Japanese 360, and a number, of course, of uh, Japanese games will work on North American. So yeah, the system itself not region locked, but yeah, the, right. uh, the software might be. That port is region locked, is what I meant region uh, there's also like region specific dlc that sometimes can be challenging to get but we did get the black label stuff for mushima sama futari which was really fun that god mode let me tell you yeah i've heard a lot of things about that i need to try it out uh okay so there's this thing that i've sort of coined it's called shmup shot and uh there were a couple times where i'm like i I just made it through a single pixel crack of safety through like a thousand bullets Uh and i would just be stunned and laughing maniacally (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I've been there. And then you're crazy. sitting there thinking, like, how did I survive? And then a bullet nails you in the face five seconds later. And you're like, well. It's just one of the small, slow ones, too. It's always the way, isn't it? <laughs> the last bullet in the pattern hits me every time. Oh, man. It's like, oh. You know, especially when you're trying to do a one-all or trying to get a high score or something. Oh, no no question. Yeah. <laughs> no question. So I wanted to ask you, during your time, you know, doing the Bullet Heaven series, did you ever see any, like, spikes in viewership for certain games or certain game series and stuff like that yes but not right away <laughs> oh okay oftentimes like we we would review a game and uh, a great example of this would be Raiden 4 overkill as a matter of fact ufo interactive released it for the playstation 3 and we reviewed it and it got a fairly decent response at first like i think we got a thousand views in a couple of days right mm-hmm. but then it came out on steam and then all of a sudden we got a spike in viewership on that one episode and then it went on sale on Steam again, and we got more views. And then it went on sale again, and we got more views. And now, Raiden 4 Overkill is our most watched Bullet Heaven episode with over 10,000 views. So it's almost like concrete proof that a lot of people watch your show to get your opinion on whether or not to purchase a shmup. <laughs> yes, I, I would absolutely say so, yeah. Well, I do it, so. There's usually a window for like our bulk views straight off the hop but every time there's sales or every time it's re-released on another platform mm-hmm. oftentimes because it's already been uh, reviewed on bullet heaven they'll go to that review to base their decision on 
how it was on this other console. And yeah, then I've we'll, done that. we'll often have the uh, the extra episode come out later on, like Bullet Soul, for example. We did yeah. Bullet Soul on the 360 back in Series 4, but we also did Bullet Soul and Bullet Soul Infinite Burst on Steam in Series 7. Yeah, I did that with Dodonpachi Resurrection because of the Steam port. Yeah. Because I was like, okay, let's watch the 360 episode, then watch to see if you do a Steam episode and compare them, I guess. Yeah. And it's good that the uh, the Black Label stuff was uh, included in uh, in Resurrection as well, or Daifukatsu, if you're... Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, and uh, like the Ketsupachi stuff is pretty cool, how they like sort of implemented the mechanics of Ketsui yeah, uh, into, into Dodonpachi. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so good. Yeah, I really... Dodonpachi Resurrection, when I first played it, because I'm a big fan of DOJ, I was a little hipstery and be like, eh, I'm not too crazy about it. But as the years have gone on, I've, it's really grown on me a lot. Yeah, I think I like the I like the laser canceling mechanics in Daifukatsu. I think that's what makes it my favorite one, especially when it comes down to scoring too. So like, when yeah. you, obviously, when you hit your hyper, you change all the shots on screen to uh, to gold stars, right? Well, if you've got fifteen giant lasers hitting you and you defeat what's what's firing them oh, during your yeah. hyper, they just it just creates a screen full of gold giant gold stars, and it's supremely satisfying. It's exquisite. Like the end of stage four, if you get that right, it's just, oh, just yes. piles of stars flying in at you. If You feel really badass doing that. You have those, like, there's like three uh, turrets that have the giant lasers yes. firing four directions. Oh, yeah, no, that's cathartic as hell. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it is. yeah. The whole time I'm watching my extend, like, oh, I've got to get like three extends from this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, if you really enjoy that mode, I don't know if you've played the, the X mode in the black label release on the 360 of doj there's an xbox 360 mode in that that's ridiculously fun because it yeah. it brings in that bullet canceling mechanic into it oh so okay so when you're playing your default shot is hyper like the regular hyper and then okay, when you yeah. get hyper you get bullet canceling hyper oh what and to balance it the game just throws tons of enemies and bullets at you it's extremely fun that sounds amazing. It sounds like I have to uh, pop in DOJ at some point. We'll probably do another 360 stream and I'll, I'll headline it with that. Oh, yeah. I was having a blast playing that mode. Well, what are your thoughts on Ketsui? I love Ketsui and I'm really excited for the PS4 port. I'm like super excited. <laughs> it's going to be good. That's for sure. I like the uh, the arranged mode in that as well. I think uh, the arranged mode works very, very well for Ketsui on, uh, on both 360 and PS3. So I hope that uh, that transitions as well. You know, I was going to ask you, did you ever play the Battle Garega port on PS4? We Okay, so we took a lot of shit for that. <laughs> How dare you, by the way. Uh, I, I did a, an unboxing of the uh, the Collector's Edition, which, of course, only had a download code in it, right? And that ain't and, right. Uh, and uh, Well, I mean, it kind of is, because, again, space being at a premium. Yeah. Although it's, there's a big box now sitting over there. I might get the, the Korean release, but yeah. I, I've got the Saturn version too. So, you know, through my frame meister, there's not much difference. Basically, uh, we said uh, there was one remark that I, that I sort of put in there off, uh, not really off the cuff. Like I meant to say what I said, but I'm like, you know, it's, it's a download code. Sure. But I mean, you're buying this package for the, uh, for the extras anyways, right? You're not trying right. to sell this, are you? And people are like, Oh, what? So what? I, I only buy shmups to sell them. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes have you seen ebay <laughs> like <laughs> you dirty scalper you know <laughs> buying it just to resell it. i was a little annoyed i actually didn't buy the collector's edition for that reason just because i was like oh put it on disc <laughs> yeah but i mean it's not that big of a deal 
I mean, the, the fact that it came with a physical soundtrack, I think, was more important to me because, like, again, I've got right. the Saturn, the Saturn version, and uh-huh. uh, I don't have a lot of space on my shelf for PS4 games. But you know, that's that's more or less why it wasn't such a big deal to me, and I, I got a pretty good deal on it too. Like, it was under a hundred bucks. Nice. And it was it nice. was brand brand new and everything, right? So that, that was one of my first two, I think, unboxings. I was still trying to figure it out, so the video is a little fucked up. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm, I'm allowed to swear on here, so I might. Have oh to yeah, this is a <laughs> this is the underground episode. I mean. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bunch of wolves and lions watch this, so no worries. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Have a dingo like me on uh, <laughs> on your podcast. <laughs> but yeah, for real though, that's that's why it wasn't such a big deal. But like the book that's included in there too is amazing because like Na- Namabu Namiki actually penned the soundtrack to Battle Rega. And what's awesome is that there are notes in there from Namiki himself, and they actually have a charted matrix of the sound composition for the arcade version that you can put into a similar music creation program. Holy crap. Yeah, older older games are, are composed a lot more differently than uh, than using Fruity Loops or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's called, but uh, there are a number of different programs that allow you to use the values that are in that book to use them in other programs and bring out the sound that was composed. It's amazing. I'd love to I'd love to learn how to do it. So that that was something really cool that I discovered in there. There's also a comprehensive history of rising in there as well, rising and aiding. Oh, uh, so wow. there's stuff like Armed Police Batrider, there's Dimahu, there's, you know, all of these early like Maho Daisaksen, all of these different rising and aiding games pre-Battle Garega that are featured in the book as well. Wow. Now I'm regretting not getting that. I'm sure you could find one for cheap. After all, people aren't buying this for the game, right? <laughs> Yeah, I know. I debated back and forth whether to get that or the Korean version. Mm. What swayed me is I was afraid my PS4 might just explode on me any day now. And I was like, well, might as well get the disc version. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess it's a good way to look at it. Although I do have to sort of uh, put this out there. Like I used to work at EB Games uh-huh. and um, there there weren't very many Shmup fans that came into EB Games, let me tell you. But a lot oh, of the I times... Know. Like we would we would say, okay, yeah, look, there's going to be uh, you know a digital version of this. Uh, we're sold out nationwide on this game. You can still download it. Oh no, I want a physical game because I want to, I want to preserve it and I want it to be there for oh. all time. But it's like you got to think of that though. The problem is that when it comes to game preservation, the game that you're putting into your system nowadays is not the game that you're playing. Yeah, there's, it's there's just always installed. day one patches and fixes and yeah, like at at best. You're gonna have a game that uh, that has a ton of bugs in it. At worst, the code required to boot the game isn't gonna be there. Yeah, and there's also the the merit of you know the disc may become damaged. I know that's kind of a stupid argument, but that oh no, not at me. all. With Tekken Seven, my son got a hold of it and scratched the crap out of it, and then <laughs> game over, baby. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> to put it lightly, right? And you can't repair discs these days, like those Blu-ray no. ones. No, there's no repairing them. They require an epoxy, and it's expensive to do. Yeah. The thing is, too, is that uh, disc rot seems to be a very prevalent problem, even with, especially with older games. So uh, games on like the Sega Dreamcast, Neo Geo CD, PC Engine CD, Sega Saturn, like there are tales of, uh, of people out there with these discs that have just these giant black blotches of stuff that have sort of made their way under and into the reflective surface of the, uh, of the disc, and that renders them unreadable. Yeah. I know you mentioned you want to play like the legit versions, but are you ever interested in things like, you know, SD loaders for your Dreamcast and stuff? So if you want to rip the ISOs and play it that way. It's the same sort of thing, though, right? Like we've sort of maintained a very strict policy on it. Okay. 
And I'm not even sure why we're even still doing it, but why break the streak, right? But I mean, again, uh, like we don't really want to come off as cheap. We want to make sure that we've got something to show for our production and also, you know, something that we can refer to back. Like, so we got this project coming up and I can uh, go into it a little later on here when we're about to wrap up. But I'm doing a project that's codenamed the Sega Dream Quest. And the idea is, is that like we did with the PlayStation Portable in our Game Quest series last year and the year before, we're going to acquire and exhibit every single Dreamcast game that's been released. Oh, that's cool. Complete can mean a few different things. And as it's, as it stands oh, right yeah. now, uh, our funding isn't going to allow for every variant. But there's three ways that we want to do this production. One, we want to do every officially released collector's edition. That, that was a shooting game. Two, we want to have a complete Japanese set of games. So every game released, a uh, shooting game released in Japan, we, we want to have. And then three, we want to do every game regardless of region. So like if we have a copy of Gunspike, for example, which we do, we just got it like yesterday or the day before, we have a copy of Gunspike, we may not necessarily need to get a copy of Cannon Spike, which is like right. three times as expensive, right? Right. So that's the idea behind that. So as it stands ah. right now, I think we're missing like six releases. Oh, you're getting close then. Oh, yeah. And now there's a few that are coming out later this year, but that's something that I can uh, work towards later and maybe talk with the publishers. But mm -hmm. as it stands right now, for the stuff that's been released up to this year, including Battlecrust, we have copies of each one. Nice. Except for five of them. So now what we wanted to do, because with the PSP one, uh, right, we, we showed the case. We said, yeah, we got this today. Here's some gameplay footage. Here's what I thought about it. What we want to do this time is much more in depth. We want to take photographs of the OBs. We uh, we want to do the the manuals. We want to do like front covers and stuff stuff like that. Translate everything on them, right, so that people know what it's saying. Oh, nice aspect of it. So it's a really big in depth project that is probably going to take about a year to do. But uh, you know, I bought a brand new camera lens to get product shots. We're buying lighting through our our Indiegogo. And, you know, by a, we'll, we'll make a set out of the shelves we have in our living room where it's just like a thousand games in the background. That's Put like cool. the Sega Dreamcast box out there, a couple controllers here and there, scatter some VMUs about and then <laughs> fil film it with these lenses and, uh, and create a presentation that will be a lasting chronicle of everything the Sega Dreamcast ever saw in terms of a shmup. Wow. That is really cool. That's where physical becomes a little more important for us, right? It's not necessarily a preservation, although it technically in this case it is. Right. But in terms of like for, for having it for ourselves, the preservation aspect isn't necessarily where we're at with that. Uh, it's just making sure that we can show like differences and, uh, and elements of each game and then gameplay on top of that through um, like VGA capture and S video and uh, upscaling through the frame meister and stuff like that for the clearest possible modern image through real hardware that's nice yeah it sounds like too you want the complete experience where you want you're looking at things not just the game but like the disc the manuals all that stuff yeah i mean my uh my rose tinted glasses are so uh so heavily tinted they're red <laughs> i need uh, i i need to have the experience that i had when i was uh when i was just setting out on my own the dreamcast was one of those systems that like I had it on like I bought my Dreamcast on the verge of me moving out of my parents place. So like it was mm -hmm. something that like when my friends would come over, we'd spend all weekend playing fighting games. Right. Nice. And so like not necessarily the shooting game aspect of it, because I didn't really get heavy into that until around 2004, 2005. 
But, you know, the Dreamcast was an integral part of my early adult life. And I've actually been a part of some Dreamcast games as well. Oh, really? Sort of, uh, it sort of holds a special place in my heart as a result. It's a, a well-beloved system, that's for sure. I think for good reason. <laughs> for sure. I, it's, it's one of those, it's a strange sort of situation, too. It's kind of retro, but it's also kind of modern. It really does hold up today with its yeah. visuals, but it also has the sort of gameplay of a, of a bygone era that we don't really just, we just don't see it very much anymore. Well, Switch notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like the last system that they were focused on recreating the arcade experience, basically. Because isn't oh, it basically yeah. like a katana board? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a Naomi board. Naomi, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Naomi board. Yeah, Na- Naomi and Dreamcast are more or less interchangeable, just like yeah. Sega Saturn and Sega Titan Video were. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that was really cool. Whereas I think, you know, the consoles after that, they weren't as concerned with bringing the arcade home. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there was a more of a market shift towards like home entertainment, like DVD, Blu-ray, CD sound, stuff like that, right? So it was mm-hmm. it was part of the entertainment center, not necessarily a gaming machine. Yeah. I think the GameCube holds the distinction of being the last true gaming machine. Although the Switch might be considered as well. Right, yeah, the Switch just plays games. That's yeah. all it does. It does it well, though. I, got, I, can't, yeah. uh, I can't disagree. Oh, I love the Switch. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic stuff. ask you with the m2 port of battle grega did you get a chance to really dig into that oh yeah we did a full review on it actually did i miss that i swear i was looking for it i must have missed it <laughs> i think it was in series eight ah okay yeah it was either series eight or series seven one of the, I, know, I think it was series eight if i'm totally honest but, okay uh, yeah series eight uh we had we had a full tear down of it and we went in through the different uh the different versions i really really appreciate the uh the easy mode because it allows new players to get the Battle Garega, maybe not the full Battle Garega experience, obviously, because, you know, it's a soul, it's a soul crushing game that holds no punches. <laughs> but yeah, to, to be able to go through and po- possibly one LC the game. Yeah. Why not give, give players a chance to, to sample it before they, they have the main course, you know? And then, of course, uh, you know, going into it with the arcade and the revision 2016 and the, uh, there's also a uh, an arrange mode in there as well, from what I understand. I mean, it, it adds a lot of content 
you, you've always got constant feedback and you're getting uh, information with uh, with regards to weapon progression, mm-hmm. as well as crests and special abilities, all right. of the widgets around. It's a very, very classy way to do what it does. And, and I think more games would benefit from that. Like if they had, uh, I don't know if rank is dynamic in like a game like Gunbird or something like that, but. Right. I don't know either. If they had like widgets that showed that kind of stuff in place of like character art and they just put the UI into the game where it's supposed to be, that would be really cool with like a, a future zero div port. But I think M2 more or less has uh, has that uh, that kind of presentation on lockdown. So, you know, as long as they bring more of those games over, I'm cool. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the M2 ports have really raised the standard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is a real port. I mean, it's got save states. That's just incredible. It's got. I think you can change the input lag, you know, because yeah, the arcade yeah. version has more input lag. And you can drop that down if you want. Yeah, you can really dial it in and get the, the uh-huh. gameplay experience that you yourself like to play rather than just a standardized, here's our port, have fun. Oh, yeah, and you can change the colors of the bullets. That's good for me because I have a little bit of color. Thing. Yeah, I have a little bit of color blindness. So certain bullet combinations give me trouble to see, okay, what... I definitely <laughs> changed my bullets over to, like, Retina Scorching Pink. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> the highest visibility. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious, are you really looking forward to the Ketsui port on PS4? Oh, man, yeah, definitely. Probably going to have to spring for it, but that shouldn't be an issue when it finally gets released. I still have to get that other game that came out recently. What was it called again? Was that crazy Fever? Yeah, that one, yeah. Gotta get Danganfibran, for sure. Yeah, me too. <laughs> There's, there's something about it that's just, like, completely goofy, but I love it. <laughs> it's kind of cave cut and loose, I think, a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Disco shmup. I'm, I'm all right with that. <laughs> it's really interesting, because it actually kind of plays a little more like a Psycho game, where the bullets, they're fast. It's oh, not yeah. like... It, it, uh, it looks pretty intense, actually. Uh-huh. But, uh, I, I imagine it was probably actually inspired by an actual disco, you know, where they, like, aim, aim the lights at the ball, and it, like projects all the lights on the walls and stuff that's <laughs> yeah. like real life dan maku right there uh-huh <laughs> dodge the lasers <laughs> exactly so now that's cool i I do want to get that though uh, the ketsu port as well yeah me too i'm that's like my most anticipated release right now and so i was gonna along those same lines so for the shmup community something like the ketsui port or the you know battle Garega port those are big deals but i feel like among the general gaming community like, there's not even a Metacritic review for Battle Krega. I was just wondering, I guess, how do you feel about the wider media's view on shmups? Do you think it's just kind of like a, like you said, a little pastime, but they don't view them that seriously? I mean, yeah. There have been a few, like, recent reviews, once again, that uh, that really don't sort of scratch the surface, and they, they're sort of written off as just cheap. Well, not even cheap, really. Sometimes expensive, brief experiences that may not be worth that are being asked of them Mm -hmm. and there's almost like a um a misconception that you know the amount of time that it takes to beat a game is the amount of time that the game is is going to have period right that's a huge thing fighting games can kind of get away with it because there's always the two-player aspect of it Mm -hmm. you know versus and and such Uh, puzzle games are the same sort of way but i think even then like fighting games and puzzle games uh don't get the same kind of uh coverage as the big triple A's. And I think that's like marketing probably plays a big par- uh, part in that, you know, triple A developers want to have as much coverage as they, as they can get for a game that costs them hundreds of million dollars to make. Yeah. 
But like with with shoot 'em ups, like they're no less important, especially for you know people like us. That's that's what they what they do. Like I play shoot 'em ups because I don't have time to play RPGs. Although I'm making an effort for Octopath Traveler. Yeah, that that looks great. It's a fantastic game. But um, but yeah, you're right. Like they're not long enough. They don't go into enough. They don't explain enough. They don't generally seem to be games that are taken seriously within the mainstream gaming media. And it's almost on almost exclusively on independent sites like Press Pause Radio or productions like Bullet Heaven to sort of take up the torch and make sure that they that, that all of the uh, the aspects of these games are properly explained and critiqued so that players looking to make informed decisions, should I get this one or that one, they can do that more or less at a glance. Yeah. The frustration with me is it's actually like on a consumer level. Well, there'd be a lot of shmups I'm interested in maybe picking up, but you know, they're expensive. So I want to get some like critical feedback on them. And then I'm looking around and, you know, a lot of the major reviews are just like, yeah, it's a shmup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty you much. Know? And yeah. then they talk about how great shmups are, but you know what I mean? They're not really talking about the game so much. I, th- I think the thing that bothers me the most with, uh, with a lot of these reviews is that like, oh, if you've played a game like this 20 years ago, you're playing the same game. Today. Oh yeah. Like, that, oh, come on. Man. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, really. A cave shmup versus, you know, something on the NES is, it's almost it's night and day. a different genre. Yeah. Well, unless, unless we're talking about Rekka, but that's a different bag of hammers too, so. Yeah, so I just really appreciate, you know, what you're doing with your channel. And I know you're saying, I just feel like it's just crazy that, you know, the shmup community feels so small sometimes. It does. Compared to yeah, other but, stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, we'll keep on trucking on as long as there's stuff to review <laughs> and as long as yeah. I'm still alive. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, that's awesome, dude. It's not too bad. Another thing that I thought was really cool about your channel, and I didn't actually know that, is that you create a lot of the music for your channel, and you're a musician, and you have background in music. Oh, yeah. Uh, we do uh, basically brand new tracks every time a new series of Bullet Heaven is created. So uh, as of right now, it's been remixed 10 times. And it was originally composed in 2006 for uh, a theoretical game that I wanted to make. It was going to be called oh, Scram- cool. Scramble 11, and it was the uh, the stage one track, but uh, never happened. And so I repurposed it into the Bullet Heaven theme. Yeah, I know how that is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you have any experience with game development and stuff like that? Absolutely. I, I actually work with uh, a local firm, done sound design, including music composition and uh, effects, and uh, uh, as well as voice remastering as well. Nice. For 80 apps. That's really cool. What kind of games do they make? Mostly children's stuff. My uh, my favorite stuff by far was the uh, project that we had through Cartoon Network. So oh, okay. I, I was I was cre- I created over a hundred pieces of music just for that, and it was so much fun. Uh, I had access to all kinds of different sound assets from the shows, so I was able to put actual sound effects from the shows into the games. Oh, that's cool. You know, just picking them out of animatics and stuff like that. But the musical part really sort of was probably the most fun part of it. So like OKKO or Lakewood Plaza Turbo, I did stuff for Powerpuff Girls. I did stuff for Magic Mighty uh, Magic. What is it? Mighty Magiswords. That's what it was called. And oh, then nice. uh, We Bear Bears. So it was pretty neat to like pair an R&B track to We Bear Bears while they're playing basketball or death, <laughs> death metal to um, to Powerpuff Girls while they're fighting two uh, two giant monsters. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, certain attacks go left or right. So you've got to, you know, use dynamic sound channelings, too. So everything that happens on the right side happens in the right speaker. Everything on the Mm -hmm. left happens on the left speaker if you're wearing headphones. It's pretty cool. 
like the PS2 games or are they some later ones? Those are just browser games. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's all very recent stuff, right? Most recently with them, I'm working on stuff with like Sesame Workshop, you know, Sesame Street and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it pays the bills. <laughs> well, that's cool. That's definitely cool work to find. I mean. But uh, I do have work on console as well. So uh, I did the arranged soundtrack in Ghostblade HD. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, so that's on Xbox One, PS4, PC, and Wii U. Yeah, I've heard of that one. That was pretty crazy to have my work on a Nintendo system after having Nintendo systems my whole life. <laughs> that was pretty that's neat. That's nice. That's pretty awesome. And uh, I did also an arranged album for Ducks 1.5 Special Edition on the Dreamcast. Oh, is that one of those, uh, not re-release, but like a newer indie game that comes to the Dreamcast? Yeah, HughCast Games made this particular version, I believe, in 2016. Oh, that's cool. So the uh, the game itself didn't have the tracks in it. However, it came with an uh, a CD soundtrack with it uh, called the Ducks Arranged Soundtrack Version 1.999. Yeah, so I've uh, I've got my own Dreamcast game, really. So it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, I bet that's that's pretty cool considering you're such a fan of the console. You know? Oh yeah, I know. That's that's going to be one thing that I'm going to have a lot of fun uh, exhibiting for sure because it comes with an outer box. The game has uh, its own unique cover and then of course there's the soundtrack and it's the only soundtrack in the world of its kind that's signed <laughs> nice i'll sign my own juncture <laughs> that's funny so as a you know musician and creative arranged soundtrack what are some of your favorite arranged soundtracks from shmups just generally i really love the soundtrack of mushihime sama futari oh yeah that's a good one uh, and it's weird too because like we had one guy just like solidly stay Dude, this is uh, Namiki's worst work. I'm like, what are you listening to <laughs> exactly? And every time I play it on stream, I'm just like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. This is so good. Uh, Escaluda 2 also has some pretty amazing tracks in it as well, I gotta say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what also I, I really liked? I really liked the uh, soundtrack in Akai Katana. Yes. Holy crap. That one is awesome. It was a fantastic soundtrack, especially yeah. the boss theme was great. That soundtrack is slamming. I love those, like, 360 arranged soundtracks, almost all of them. Oh, yeah. They're so good. They're excellent. Oh, if you're looking for, like, arranged soundtracks specifically, the Under Defeat HD... Okay, so Under Defeat HD obviously suffers from problems, right? But it's still a fun uh -huh. game. Yeah, it's awesome. The Wide Mode actually has uh, a soundtrack done by one of my all-time favorite composers, uh, Yosuke Yasui. And basically, uh, it, uh, at times, it sounds like a straight-out-of-the-pat-labor anime which one of my all-time favorites, I got to say. But yeah, like the, the arranged soundtrack in Under, Under Defeat HD is one of the most epic homages to like 80s, like synth pop anime that I, that I think I've ever heard. J-pop kind of stuff? Well, it's not J-pop per se. Like, like I said, it's more along the lines of a pat labor. So, you know, okay. there's definitely like underlying guitar and stuff like that. And while it is kind of poppy, it, it also has like the rock aspect to it. It's so good. Super. I definitely got to check that out. Absolutely.
interesting too, what do you think about, on your channel, covering stuff like, do you cover a lot of indie or doujin shmups? Is that something you're interested in? Oh, we always do Indian doujin, especially now that the uh, the Switch is so prevalent. A lot of indies are like, hey, here's a shmup, want a review? Right, like, right, right, sure. Yeah. But even before that, we were we were taking a look at a lot of indie stuff. So like even early on, Rock and Android was a publisher that sort of came to us fairly early on. We actually met at PAX and oh, you know, nice. super upstanding guys. I'm actually working on a project with them right now, too, without saying too much. But um, basically, they uh, they were nice enough to hook us up with a bunch of indies. So we were we were able to check out like Cleon and Crescent Pale Mist and bunny Masai, we had a world exclusive for that on pc oh awesome so that, that was through press pause radio so i was that, i was very excited about that for sure but gundamonium collection uh so that's gundamonium recollection gun deadly uh -huh. and uh he took out the all three of those games were able to be reviewed on steam because they were they were given to us uh same thing with like new media astroport is a pretty prevalent uh indie playism has uh allowed us to check out games like revolver 360 reactor and what was the other one there last breed that was a big one too but all of these mm -hmm. all of these teams are like four people at most including Astro right. Breed, which like blows my mind that was one of the best games that year and like uh who made that one italice as uh as who did uh Astro breed what a fantastic team they did such a good job uh we also checked out uh crimson clover which is probably the closest thing to a, a pure cave game that was made in the in the dojin circuit Oh yeah, Crimson Clover's bitchin'. You want to talk about cathartic bonuses in that, when you can shower like a thousand stars on screen, and ah, oh, it's so good. And that had a good soundtrack too. And I believe, wasn't Clover himself like a hell of a good shmup player? Like he's a super player, isn't he? I want to say so. I think I've heard something about that. Yeah. That's really cool to go from being a super player to making one of the best indie shmups ever. A super programmer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> super programmer. Uh, I'm an artist, not a calculator. So, like, if someone if someone came to me looking for an awesome soundtrack, I could help out. But uh... that's really cool too that you've got your got experience doing some work in development as well on the audio side of things. Yeah, and it's it's something that I just sort of picked up along the way too. Like, I've got no formal training. I'm just I'm adept at sort of pulling sound out of my brain. It was one tune yeah. that I did. I don't remember where it was featured. I think it might have been during one of our uh, our unboxing videos or or Game Quest or something. But uh, I snapped awake one morning because I had heard music in my dream, <laughs> and I immediately ran to my computer and put it into the sequencer as fast as I could. And I mean, I managed to pull it out and feature it in my uh, my in my album last year. I've been checking out your Bandcamp and stuff and listening to it, and your tracks are super catchy. Like. Especially some of the ones that uh, you use on Bullet Heaven and stuff. Oh, yeah. Those will stick in your brain for, you know, weeks. Mesosphere, I think, is my magnum opus. I think that uh, the theme of Bullet Heaven is probably going to be my most timeless one. And long after I'm gone, people will be humming it. That's crazy story. It came to you in your sleep. Yeah. I had an experience like that one time where... So I haven't released any shmups or anything like that, but I do a little bit of programming myself. And I'm kind of like you, where I was kind of just picking it up and learning as I went. And the big challenge I had was figuring out how to program a laser like in Dodonpachi. Okay, yeah. Like, you know, when you hold it and it launches the laser? Yeah. Because that is tricky, as way trickier than you think, because... It's not just instant, it has to travel, right? Yeah, it has to travel. And the hard part for me was, let's say you're lasering and you hit something, and then something flies into your laser. The laser needs to set back into the thing that flew into it. Yeah. 
that was the tricky part, making it move back if something flies through your... Because what was happening to me is stuff was just flying through the laser. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so to make this story short, one night in my sleep, the code I needed to fix it came to me while sleeping. I woke up, ran to my computer, and coded it in. So it's like the same story. And it it worked? It worked. My brain figured it out while I was sleeping. That's cool. Uh, Yeah, the the human subconscious is definitely a complicated thing, but when it works in your favor, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) Well, um, anyway, I asked you about Indian Dojin shmups, because I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, these days we kind of have this gaping hole where Cave was, and now it's gone, of being like, you know, the premier modern shmup developer, and I was wondering... Do you think some of these indie developers could like move into upscaling their production and kind of taking that place of the shmup developer? You know what? I think there there already is someone, um, which is actually made by X Cave staffers. Ah, yeah. There's a game called Akato Blue that's going to be uh, right. That's going to be coming out to, to the Switch, I believe. I've heard all kinds of rumblings. It's already available nope. in the mobile space. It will not come to the Switch. I actually interviewed. The X Arcadia guys, yep. and they confirmed no, no, no Switch. Switch port. All right. That sucks. Still, though, yeah. I mean, we could still see it on another platform at some point, but, uh, you know, when it actually does happen, though, it'll be it'll be pretty neat. Yeah. But yeah, Tano Shimas is who's developing Akato Blue. I think they're going to be the successor to Cave. Just like, yeah, I hope so. Just as Cave was the successor to Toa Plan. Right. So have you heard of the X Arcadia? I have. It's definitely an intriguing platform to be sure yeah i'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that well i don't know a lot about it because uh, if i'm 100 percent honest the arcade scene is uh is completely dead where i am right there's there's no hope of ever seeing x arcadia out my way i think the closest that we'll see it might be toronto which of course is that's canada's metropolis mm-hmm. and i imagine like places in seattle will likely see it where they have the uh Penny Arcade Expo every year, and you know, arc- right. arcade culture is still pretty pretty lively there, especially with places like GameWorks. Mm-hmm. It's like a I don't know if you've been there or not. It's a barcade in downtown Seattle, so you can have a drink, have something to eat, and then go into the uh, the other section and play some Ride and Fighters. Nice, though. No, I haven't been there, but I've heard about it. Yeah, it's a pretty a pretty chill spot. We go there every time uh, we're in town, so it's not too bad. Oh, nice. Yeah, we uh, we often go to PAX, although we haven't recently. Uh, the Press Pause crew, but uh, we're trying to make efforts to do that soon again. If the X Arcadia comes out, will you ever go to it and review a shmup from the X Arcadia? I've I've often wondered what I'd do in that sort of a situation. Like I've kind of wanted to go to California Extreme for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. That's uh, for those that don't know. That's a giant convention dedicated to coin ops and uh, pinball machines. And so, like going to California Extreme, yeah, I'd I'd review a shooter off screen. Sure, get some footage of it. Yeah. I've got the right camera for it, so it shouldn't be an issue to uh, to film something like that. And you mentioned the iOS port of Akata Blue. Do you ever have any interest in reviewing something like that? It turns out the phone that I've got can capture video. <laughs> so, yeah, I've heard about that. It's it's a, it's a standard feature on most Samsung phones nowadays, and I mean it's an S8, so it shouldn't be a problem capturing stuff at 60 FPS. I I did a test actually with what is it, Darius. Darius Burst, Burst uh, Gaiden or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the uh, the prologue or whatever it is there. But yeah, yeah. I, I tested it with that and it worked really well. So it can happen and it likely will happen. But it's just a matter of finding the time and the timing to properly implement it into the series amidst all of the other reviews that we're doing. We, we did it, though. Like we did a game called Vritra back in the day. Uh, 
It was part of like the the side the side spinoff uh, Bullet Heaven minis that were for like handheld games, and they they still stuck to a five minute time limit thereabouts. But I mean, I'd probably just uh, if I could get direct footage, if I can get direct footage of a game, I can present it. I feel kind of cheap doing stuff off screen. That's the main thing, right? Uh, I, I do prefer direct footage over filming off of a camera. Yeah, and you know the production quality of your shows, I'd say top notch, and so I could see. Like someone like me, I'm like some random dude. If I did a review and did, you know, off screen, no one would really care. But to your channel, I could see some maybe some of your audience members getting mad about that. Oh, or something. yeah. <laughs> there's one there's one guy in specific that keeps getting after me for not reviewing stuff on the 3DS eShop. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to aim a camera at a 3DS. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I've heard getting direct capture to 3DS is like operation like to get that is insane. It's expensive and it's not a permanent option. Like it's it's really, really easy to brick. I know, I wish Nintendo had done something like, you know the Game Boy Player on the Cube? Oh, yeah. Like, done something with that for the Wii U, where you could stick in a 3DS game and play it on the Wii U. That would be pretty cool. I mean, they sort of did that with some downloads, because the the Wii U was basically a 3DS for your TV, or a DS for your TV. The bottom screen, Uh you just held the bottom screen in your hand, that's all. But yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to have that sort of a functionality, but at the same time, yeah. Yeah, it was not to be, unfortunately. At least the PSP had that for uh, that sort of function, though. Yeah. Which makes it sting that the Vita didn't. I know, that ain't right. Yeah, Vita TV, though. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have one of those. <laughs> I need to get one of those. Hopefully they aren't too expensive nowadays. I think they're climbing up, but they're still not too expensive. Yeah, I think you might be able to get one out of Japan for cheap. I don't know. Yeah, probably. So, you were mentioned in your last video that, you know, with Gunbird 2, Psycho's kind of running low on games to port to the Switch. So I was wondering, do you think we could possibly see some stuff like Cave or Raising coming to the Switch? I mean, I could see it. As long as you could get the uh, the licensing for it. Like M2, I don't know if I heard it uh, heard it or not, or if it's uh, you know something that's going to happen. But uh, like M2, I believe, might be looking into the Switch. That would be awesome. Uh, I'm pretty sure I heard that from somewhere, but don't take that as gospel. But uh, yeah, I believe M2 is definitely talking about that. I know definitely that limited run games has been in talks with M2, so we might be able to see some physical versions like Danganfuran or Battle Garega make a North American re- debut. Right, yeah. And who knows? I mean, limited run has some really, really cool collector's editions. Like we covered the uh, Darius Burr CS collector's edition via limited run. They were kind enough to pr- provide a unit to us. And uh, nice. you know, we went into the nitty gritty, checked out the models. I broke one on camera. It's actually pretty funny. <laughs> is that <laughs> but, in the video? Uh, it is. That's funny. There's a there's a nice moment uh, with the sound design in that too. It, it makes it very poignant. Anyway, we checked out the models, checked out the soundtrack, all the all the neat little little bits and bobs. But recently, we also got a copy of what am I trying to say here? The uh, Senkonoran Two Limited Edition from Dejika and Limited Run. So that's something that we're going to be unboxing and doing a special stream for as well. Mm -hmm. So knowing that they can put out a quality collector's edition, it kind of makes me excited to see what they might do with the Battle Garega or Danganfevron or Ketsui. Yeah. You know, will they include Super Play DVDs? Will they include an art booklet? Are they going to put like the arranged soundtrack? Yeah. Arranged soundtrack. Exactly. Like, you know, is it one disc or two? Do they have like uh, maybe an all in one OST disc? You know, what's the package going to look like? Is it going to be a tall box? Will it be just a smaller, log, uh, big box? There are all kinds of different variables, and I'm really excited to see what those might be. Because 
And it's not just through limited run too. Like a lot of shooters are getting physical releases that might not otherwise get them because of the way that they're marketed out here. Yeah. I find it amazing that we're getting Cyveria Delta. I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to see Game Paradise on Switch too. There's a listing uh, on the EB Games Canada uh, pre-order list for that as of oh, right nice. now. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I think it's by dis- it's probably by Dispatch, if I'm not mistaken. But I know that Dejica at least is responsible for publishing the the Steam version, right? Yeah, their Steam library of shmups is great. Oh, it's excellent. Yeah, I, I especially yeah. love how they brought over uh, Eskatos to a, a larger audience. Because if I'm 100% honest, man, like Eskatos is probably my all-time favorite 360 game. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. There's something about its simplicity and its uh, its presentation that I love. It looks like a Naomi uh, a Naomi game. Yes. Uh, and it sounds a bit like a Mega Drive game. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it plays like, oh, it's so smooth. It's like butter. It's so good. So I got to ask you, what is your favorite? Is that your favorite shmup of all time? Or what is uh, your favorite three, shmup? On 360, my okay. all-time favorite shoot 'em up is uh, Airzone. Love Airzone. I've never even played that. Yeah, that's on the uh, TurboGrafx-16. It's oh, available okay. on the uh, on the PC Engine as well as uh, PC Dengen, which is a a pun on the PC Engine name, obviously. <laughs> that's funny. With uh, Dengen being Electric Man, I guess roughly translated. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty great. Uh, there's also another sequel that they made for the PC uh, Dengen series. It was called CD Dengen, uh, also known as Super Air Zonk out here, uh, but it's not as good. People will will argue with me on that, but uh, for for my money, it's all about the original with its parallax scroll and amazing soundtrack. Is it a vertical or horizontal? It's a hori. Okay. Yeah, it's full Yoko. <laughs> nice. So uh, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. Like you you really do have to play it for yourself. Like my explanation of it wouldn't be able to do it justice. Yeah. But to give you a taste, like basically you have the ability to charge up any attack that you've got. So if you've got a special weapon, you can charge it up. Your regular weapon, you can charge it up. Okay. You can clear stuff off the screen with bombs if you hold your uh, your button long enough. In the Japanese version, you take a giant dump and it clears the screen. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then what you can do, uh, you collect these little smiley faces. If you get enough smiley faces, you get a big smiley face. When you collect a big smiley face, one of your friends comes on screen. You can choose from any number of friends before you start uh, each stage. Are they like options? Uh, kind of. They, they sort of follow you around, but they also uh, add uh, additional missile fire. But it's not the same as your fire. However, if you got another big smiley face, you combine with your friend to turn into a freaky hybrid and you get uh, overwhelming firepower. It's amazing. That sounds like a very creative game. Oh, it's so good. And it's uh, it's like um, it's like one of the earlier examples of a cute up, right? I know Parodius has been around for a long time. I think it was like 1987 or something along those lines on the MSX mm-hmm. or whatever. But uh, Airsonk is, uh, is probably one of the best examples of a cute up. It's parody style to the uh, to the Bonk series, which of course was an action platformer, not a shoot 'em up. I think everything that it homages to the Bonk series and refines in the shooting space make it just the finest game I think I've ever played. Well, I I definitely have to check that out. Is it only on those platforms, like the PC Engine? It is not. It was available on Wii Virtual Console for a while. I want to say that it's at some juncture it was probably made available on. Uh, playstation network at some point but Ah, i'm I'm not 100 percent on that you might want to double check that but uh i've heard rumors without actually looking into it just because you know i've already got it why would i why would i want to get it again you got the real deal so put that through the frame
reviewed Cuphead on your channel, which is kind of like a hybrid between a shmup and a run and gun. Run and gun, yeah. We do a lot of borderliners. Right, yeah. I was just going to ask, do you feel like you get more of an audience for hybrid games, or is it about the same as your shmup reviews? It's about the same, but like if a game is really popular, like Cuphead was, we'll we'll usually hit that thousand views. That's our magic marker of success, right? Yeah, Not magic marker. It's it's our it's the point that magic point of success for us is a thousand views. If it reaches a thousand views, that's cool. A thousand people have watched my stuff. Yeah, and so sometimes you hit that number a lot faster than others. And Cuphead was one such uh, game that sort of did that for us. Uh huh. It was also, it took a little longer to produce, though, because it's freaking hard. <laughs> and uh, we, we actually, uh, it's the single game with the longest amount of uh, raw, unedited footage that we've ever produced. It, we had over six hours of footage. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> when you're recording the footage, let's say you get a new shmup, do you have any kind of, like, clearing requirements for yourself? Like, I need to get a one-all, or I need to get through it with only two deaths, or do you not worry Believe about that kind not, of thing? I, I'm not really worried about one credit clears because uh, that that takes time, and and oftentimes I don't have enough of it to to dedicate to a one credit clear, or one LC, right, or two all or whatever, right? Yeah, but I do have some. There are certain conditions. So uh, my wife Dayruna, right? Mm -hmm. She plays player two on all of our um, on all of our two player games. Basically, my one condition. She gets annoyed at this too. My one condition is that we have to do a perfect run of the first stage on normal difficulty. Ah, okay. Because that's that's the baseline. It shows what the game's supposed to be on the outset, right? Mm -hmm. uh, without any filters, and that's that. To get, I'll I'll do a a credit feed clear on normal difficulty to get some footage of uh, how hard the game is on the outset. Right. Then I'll do like a lowered difficulty uh, good run, and um, I will do a run that best represents how the scoring works. And then from all of those aspects, oh, and I'll do like menus and. Um, and various other like UI features and stuff right. like that. And so from all of that footage, I'll cobble it together and edit it into uh, into the uh, the greater video. Yeah. According to how the script has been written out. So obviously we do the intro, which just coincides with stage one. And then the gameplay thing will show the gameplay section will show all of the relevant gameplay bits and will show what we're talking about on screen. We'll try to time everything perfectly like as uh, if we're talking about a bomber, we'll say, you know, press the B button for a bomber. It'll create a, an area-specific uh, right, yeah. damage path, right? And it'll show the game where we launch a bomb. It has the area of effect, and the stuff around it is still there. So it shows that it's not just a screen clear. you got to be selective with, with where, you, where you put it down, right? So that's the sort of thing that we do there. And then, of course, with scoring, we, uh, we will show how like demonstrate in real time how stuff is done as we're explaining it through the narration. Yeah. With the uh, presentation, obviously you've been seeing the game the entire time we've been playing. So we can sort of gloss over that. Sometimes the sound is, uh, is really good. We'll raise the volume of the, uh, of the video. Yeah. And cease the, um, the narration for a bit just to show how it sounds and why we think it's a good sounding soundtrack or great sound effects or whatever. Right. And then we'll go back into the narration. And then, of course, we stack it up at the end. But uh, that's that's the process that we do in terms of actually... Uh, th those are the rules that we set in place for actually capturing and implementing the footage that we get for each episode. Oh, yeah, that's cool to hear that process. So when you're playing, are you sitting there kind of like thinking about what your narration is going to be? or? Oh, absolutely. Focus like, to the game and then worry about that later. 
Now there, there, there are times where I'm just like, oh my God, this freaking control. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Other times I'm like, damn, this is good. Listen to that soundtrack and I'll jot down a note. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, I'm always thinking of how the script is going to go and what points I really want to focus on, whether it's good or bad as I'm playing. And then I'll often review the footage again, uh, when, uh, like just before I'm going to start editing. And, uh, and, you know, it gives me a good idea of how to put it all together for the final product. And usually they clock in between 11 and 17 minutes. Well, that's funny because, you know, when I first started this podcast, I was like, I'm not going to worry too much about the length of the podcast, which I really haven't. But mm-hmm. like by some coincidence, all the episodes end up being about an hour 30. <laughs> I think because I get <laughs> editing fatigue and I just yeah. cut and stuff an hour 30. I'm like, okay, there we go. does that kind of happen to you when you're editing your videos where you get to like i don't know 17 18 minutes you're like all right we're good here (laughs) kind of thing (laughs) no it's uh i'll uh i'll i'll place the uh the scripting like the the narrated bits into the uh into the video first and then i'll put the uh the video chunks in after and then what i'll do is i'll select the entire back end which remains largely unchanged and then drag the entire stack up to meet with the footage right wherever it ends it ends in your time as a reviewer, I actually just watched your SDOJ review. And so this kind okay, of spurred yeah. this question. Can you highlight some of the games where you've been like, you don't know how you feel about them. You're just kind of like, I like them and I don't at the same time. Kind of came across that's how you kind of felt about SDOJ. Yes, yeah, Sidoyojo was kind of a, an interesting situation where the gameplay was solid. It didn't really feel like a Dodonpachi game, especially compared to Daifukatsu, which is my favorite one in the, in, of the lot, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it got like a 3.5, I think. Yeah. Which, you know, that translates to a 7 out of 10. There were issues with it, though. Like, Bullet Drift was a big issue. There were also, like, the, the way the sprite was uh, was created, uh, how you had, like, your hitbox further up yeah. over the, the, the general sprite where you had that big display underneath it, uh, underneath your ship. Like, that threw me off quite a few times just because of... And it's kind of weird to explain this. When I'm playing a bullet hell shooter, I don't look at individual bullets and I don't look at my ship. Right. You're watching the I, patterns. Yeah, exactly. I, my my brain is tracing. So all I see are these lines everywhere. And I'm just looking for a spot to put myself in those lines. With the sprite structure inside Iojo, it wasn't really able to be done as, as well as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. So like, I loved the soundtrack, but it wasn't quite what I was expecting. And the visuals <laughs> yeah. were good. But it, again, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. It, uh, and it was good, but it wasn't quite as good as I wanted. So seven out of ten was reasonable in my mind for that, uh, especially where the gameplay maybe wasn't as tight as S- uh, as um, DDP res, right? So yeah, like that's I got a lot of shit for that episode too. Did you? <laughs> oh my god, that's one of my most reviled episodes. I think it's got ten thumbs down. Oh yeah, but I mean, I brought it up. I didn't know that you know you got to hate for that, but. I no, it's it okay, though. It's all part of the process, right? <laughs> I brought it up because I had very similar feelings myself, where, you know, I'm a DDP nut, like the entire series. That's my favorite shmup series. I play the shit out of them all the time. And SDOJ, it's like it's like that album of a band you really love that you want to really like, but you can't quite get into it kind of thing. That's me and SDOJ. I, play it, I actually play it quite a bit, but I can never quite sink into it the same way as the other ones. Do you, uh, do you listen to any Iron Maiden? Bruce Dickinson, obviously the front man for the uh, for the group, uh-huh. and most of their albums are pretty good, but the tenth and eleventh episodes are garbage. <laughs> <laughs> they are not different guy was singing, right? 
And yeah. you could, you could, there was a marked shift in the way that the, uh, that the music was composed and played and, and it just wasn't good. And then of course he came back for their, their last one. And it's just uh, like Bruce Dickinson came back and it's so much better. Yeah. That you happens. Can, with you can definitely tell. But it's the same, exactly the same thing as what you're saying. Like, uh, with, with side Iojo, it's, it's Dodonpachi, but not as good as Dodonpachi Dai, uh, Daiojo or Dai, uh, Daifukatsu or even uh-huh. the original for that matter. Yeah. Right? So. And I think even hardcore players, as much crap as they seem to be giving you, I think in the end, most of them would agree. That's correct. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, let's take a quick look here, shall we? Gonna, we'll, we'll see what's up here. Because I don't think you can really argue that it's maybe some people could say it's better than Resurrection, but there's no way you're saying it's better than the other two. At least in my opinion. But again, maybe I'll get a hate for this episode saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Just under 7,000, oh, 7,000 views. That's not bad at all. Okay, I was wrong. It's uh, eight thumbs down, but 98 thumbs up. So there only you go. about a tenth of uh, of the people. Well, it's not even that. It's one eleventh of the people watching this video said that they didn't agree with me. But uh, the comments are pretty bad. <laughs> oh. Some of them can be anyways. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it was a fun episode. I liked it. It wasn't bad. We got a good deal on the game too, right? Through com. So Nice. Okay, you've mentioned your favorite shmup, but what has been your favorite shmup to review? Like, the review was fun, or it came oh. together really well, and you're like, this is awesome. You know, that's a great, that's an excellent question. That is a, there's a couple, actually. Oh, you know what? The, first, the one that comes out of my mind the most was uh, a game called Shooter Starfighter Sandvine. And uh, that was released on the PlayStation 1 as a budget title through Tomo. In Japan, it was released as... What was it? It was uh, Simple Series 2, no, Simple Series 1500, The Shooting, Sandvine. I think that's what it was. And uh, it uh, it was made by Success. I think the same guys that made Cotton. Okay, yeah, I know that game. I know Cotton. And so it is a shmup, but it's almost kind of borderliner too. It would, it would definitely have benefited from twin stick control, but I mean, uh, oh, games okay. of that type... Don't have weren't it. really a thing back then. Yeah. Right? So we're talking like this came out in like 2000, and really the advent of twin stick shooters came out in 2005. Was 2005 with uh, Geometry Wars, and I'm sure there are other like Robotron as well did it way earlier. But I mean, the, the true renaissance was was with uh, Geometry Wars, right? But Sandvine was one of those games that I found just like on the cusp. I didn't even know that it existed. I found it at a pawn shop for three dollars. And I bought it, I brought it home, I popped it in, I started playing, and I'm like, holy crap, this is good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so That's always yeah, a nice we, feeling. We re- we revisited that one for sure that uh, on a, a live stream, and it was it was a lot of fun. We did a clear, I think it was a 2cc, I, I, I cleared it on two credits, which wasn't, it was the best I had done, which is saying quite a bit. But another one, another really good one was in Series 1, as, uh, Series 1, it was uh, Space Megaforce. Oh, Space yeah. Space Megaforce was, yeah. That yeah. was a great, that, that one came together very, very well. But I know there was one more recently too, and I'm, I'm just going to look for it, uh, right now. See if I can't give you a good answer because like, you know what? I, I want to say that the Rekka episode came out really, really good. Nice. What stood out about it? I think just its flow. We had footage that worked very, very well for everything that we wanted to hit in terms of its, uh, its content and it was great. We have 102 comments on that one, actually. That's significant. Nice. 108 thumbs up, zero down, so people seem to like it. 
and it did hit a thousand very quickly. So I'm very, I'm, I'm satisfied with that episode for sure. And it was episode number 200. So it was a, it was a great milestone. Yeah, that's really cool. It's funny because, you know, my podcast is pretty small, but there's been times where I release an episode and I have no idea how popular it's going to be at all. I kind of have an idea, but you know, anyway, so has there been episodes you've released where you expected them not to be that popular and then they kind of blew up? Yeah, the Caladrius Blaze episode. Okay, yeah. Caladrius Blaze, as of right now, is our second, I think it's our second best episode. Really? Of Bullet Heaven, yeah. And it was released in Series 7. That would be it. It's sitting currently, wow, it's jumping, uh, eight eight 8.9 thousand views. And most of that was in the last couple months. So it's overtaken almost everything. Border Down is creeping up there, too. That's starting to to jump as well. It's only three years old, but uh, it's getting up there. That is funny. But yeah, Caladrius Plays, the reason that jumped up as fast as it did, I'm sure of it, was because Metal Jesus Rocks was doing a uh, a Let's Play video. I think it was with Radical Reggie. And just, it was an off-the-cuff remark. He was like, oh, yeah, and there, there's this guy that does these shoot-em-up videos. You, you should go check him out. And uh, And yeah, uh, 500 subscribers in a day. Holy crap. And then we got, uh, you know, a significant portion of views on uh, on Caladrius Blaze for PlayStation 4, which we we got a copy of both in the mail and from the publisher, which is nice. I, I ordered on PlayAsia, but it took a long time to get here. <laughs> yeah. Crimson Clover's getting up there. I'm pretty sure that's because it's been on sale a few times. It's up to 6,000 views. The summer sale was crazy low. It's like three My bucks. My Radiant Silver Gun review, too, for episode 41. Not my first one. It was my revisit for Xbox Live Arcade. That's up there as well. Ah. Do you think that has anything to do with the Ikaruga port to the Switch or something? Or it's just oh, popular? Yeah, I imagine that's probably what it is because we do uh, cite uh, Radiant Silvergun in the review at least once. Uh, and of course, Darius Burst CS. I'm glad that that's uh, creeping up there too because that, that game gave us content for a year. That game's really interesting because it has all those DLCs and stuff. Ah, it's so good. Okay, so this that's something too. Darius Spur CS led to us getting a number of other releases for review later down the line. So that's the sole reason I have Metal Black. It's the sole reason that I've got Night Striker. <laughs> it's oh, the sole really? reason I've got yeah, oh yeah. Night Striker S is like one of my favorites. I love that game. And actually I did a I, I did a one credit clear for the review. So it was basically me just playing one one game all the way through. Nice. It wasn't bad. That's gotta feel good. As an editor, you don't have to do any cuts or anything. Oh just, yeah. It's, there it's you just go, baby. Go. this is the game check this out oh i win you've talked about some of your future plans as far as you know bolt heaven moving forward or i guess you hinted about them so i was curious to hear more about that well obviously the uh the sega dream quest project is going to be what i'm going to be focusing a lot of time on to i still want to get my three episodes a month out on uh on bullet heaven Mm -hmm. because as much as i as much as i like doing other things my audience doesn't like it yeah. We noticed uh, that when we do live streams, we'll get maybe 30 views and two thumbs down <laughs> every time. And uh, but when it's not when it's not shmups related, it's not viewed. Even our unboxings like we did an Octopath Traveler unboxing a week ago and it's sitting at 223 views. And some people that I know in real life told me that they preferred it to the IGN one. You know what? This might be a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but you know, I'm a subscriber of yours. Right. I haven't seen any of those videos in my feed. I'm telling you. 
Oh. The only videos of you that I see in my sub feed are your like bullet hell or bullet ones. heaven. Yeah, gotcha. I don't even see those. You know what? Uh, that might be YouTube. It could be an algorithm saying, hey, this is a, a video with the same title as all the other ones that you've watched. Check this out. Right. Meanwhile, but even in my sub feed, they're not in there. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, we've done at least uh, 15 mud prints on boxes. <laughs> so yeah. maybe that could be a thing. Because I, I definitely would have checked out the Battle Grega one for sure. Because I was, I was debating whether or not to get the collector's edition or not. You know what I should do? I should start uh, tagging everything with Bullet Heaven. Yeah, because I, th- I, I am the creator of Bullet it. Heaven. I could probably do that, and maybe, just maybe, it could uh, reach more people's. Uh... Yeah, because I mean, it's it's odd to me that with fifty seven hundred and thirty three subscribers, only two hundred and twenty three people watch that review there, whereas literally triple that have watched the Gunbird two review in three days. And I'm a sub, and I didn't see that Octopath Traveler unboxing because I would have watched that because I was thinking about getting it. Oh, if you if you search for it. It is, you know what, I'll drop a link in the chat here when we're done. But um, uh, I, I managed to get a really cool effect where, like, it comes with a pop-up book, this uh, Wayfarer's Edition. Oh, nice. It's got a pop-up book in it. And I've got, I, I just obtained a macro lens for the Dream Quest project. My, my parents bought it for me for my birthday. So that took a significant chunk off of the total cost of the project, which I'm right, eternally thankful for. And basically, uh, it's it's a macro lens, so it has a very shallow depth of field. And I was able to film video of the pop-up book with the same kind of effect that you find in the game. Oh, cool. So, yeah, that's uh, that's something that no one else, to my knowledge, has done on YouTube so far. So I'd like for more people to see that one for sure. But yeah, yeah we, we need more people to see what we're doing outside of Shmups, too, because uh, at this rate, we're going to burn out. And I want I don't want to do that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, this is a shmup podcast and I usually, you know, tend to talk about shmups, try to keep the focus on that. But I have a huge background in fighting games as well. That's what I did mm. before I played shmups. And so okay. I'll I'll sneak in lots of fighting game type topics into the podcast. And, you know, I, oh, think, sure. it, yeah. I think it annoys some of my audience members, but you can't really stray too far from the shmups. Your audience will not allow it. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way, but, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe there will come a day, right? So, yeah, I think. One thing, too, is that there's just such a huge lack of shmup content out there that's kind of like Bullet Heaven, where if Bullet Heaven goes, there's it's going to be like Cave going. There's going to be a big hole in the shmup content community. It's kind of hard to think of Bullet Heaven not being there, but I don't know. I'll try to keep at it. <laughs> that's as much as I can promise. Well, it's been awesome having you on. Is there anything else you want to talk about before you head out? No, I think that's. Uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything that uh, that I do sufficiently. Well, awesome, man. Thanks for coming on the episode. No trouble at all. It was a pleasure. 